marketing headaches can't catch knee breaks watching them market stuck in turmoil starting in the morning networking all evening sell those lands I'm told as I toil Wasting away again in Marimaville Searching for a buyer who's not in default Some people claim that there's a recession to blame But I know it's not my damn fault. <laughs> okay, today we're here with uh, my friend and colleague, Peter, uh, who will introduce himself. Uh, we know each other through Long and Foster Commercial, and um, but we're here today in Oxen Hill at a recording studio because Peter plays guitar and has a great uh, real estate song that we listened as the intro to the podcast. So, Peter... Tell us, tell us your story, story of your life. How'd you get here? When did you start playing guitar? And uh, we're going to talk real estate and law. Okay. So good. Thanks for being good. on the show, Peter. Yeah. Thanks, Charles. Yeah. So my name is uh, Peter Pocorny. I'm a uh, commercial real estate attorney with a law firm uh, called Real Estate Counselors. We do s- strictly commercial real estate transactions. And I'm also a, a commercial agent with Long and Foster Commercial. That's how I know Charles. And um, I also play some guitar. I've been playing since a little bit before COVID, kind of perfecting my guitar playing during COVID. And um, I've been uh, working on some uh, real estate songs. And I'm part of a uh, commercial real estate association called the Mid-Atlantic Real Estate Marketing Association called Marima, and I, and it occurred to me that every association should have some kind of a theme song. So, so that, that's so I thought. Well, you know, I play guitar, so maybe I'll I'll create a theme song for this association. So this when, is the when, Jimmy Buffett Jimmy Buffett inspired yeah. theme song. Well, so so theme song is called the organization is Marima, so the theme song is called Marimaville. Yeah. Not to be confused with that other famous Jimmy Buffett song, you know. It had nothing to do with Margaret. Right, exactly. It has nothing pure, to do with pure that. Coincidence. Yes, exactly. This is this is my creation. No, I'm just <laughs> May he rest yeah. in peace, Jimmy yes, Buffett. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so Jimmy Buffett was in the real estate business. Yeah, he was. He actually, actually ended yeah. up being, you know, I mean Taylor Swift yeah, is I successful, think. but Jimmy Buffett yeah. ended up, I think, having a resort. Resort communities, yeah, or? He, he had, yeah. He actually he has this retirement communities called Margaritaville. There's one in South Carolina, I think Florida. There's several. Yeah. He also has hotels, so he he's a, he's actually a a billionaire. And he Truly. Made, and he made most of his money through real estate, like you know, through owning these hotels, these resorts, and through marketing and all that. That's fascinating. Yeah. I don't yeah. know how that, that. And that one song, that Marima, the um, the Margaritaville song. The kind of like really launched him into fame. 
It took him 20 minutes to write that. And he apparently wrote it on his way across the Tampa Bay Bridge. He was stuck in traffic, and he finished it off when he was on the Tampa Bay Bridge, stuck in traffic. And so that that law that was he on a tour bus or was he? No, he's driving driving down, driving down Florida on the Tampa Bay Bridge over Tampa Bay and stuck in traffic, and he wrote this song. Yeah, it took him like twenty minutes. And, and it's and, interesting when you hear that someone yeah. designs a yeah painting in their mind or right i guess the songs are different because you can write them so quickly right 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 exactly well but on the road i mean jack kerouac wrote on the road i think in you know uh, two weeks or something right some explosion of creative energy yeah so right right yeah different types of um creative creative juices so yeah and this is early in the podcast i was talking to a, a friend of mine driving out here today about, you know, podcasting and the interview with you and how is it going to go. Mm-hmm. And I think number one rule is it's entertainment because right. people have to listen. We got a song. Well, and when early in the, in the day, you recorded the song earlier when we walked in the studio. Right. Um, how many takes did you do? I did several takes trying, yeah. to, trying to perfect it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, um, so it's meant to be kind of, a parody, right? Oh yeah, Rebo. no, it's a good, it's a good yeah. song. Yeah, and you know, so uh, so we have the song, and you know, commercial real estate is uh, you have to have, a, as you know, you have to have a lot of patience to be in, in real estate because uh, a lot of my clients are irrational, and I would say borderline delusional. Well, you don't want to put that on on. You don't want to say that. <laughs> not, not my good clients. I'm not talking about all my clients, but but believe me, there there are there are clients that are uh, irrational. And, yeah. And well, human beings are irrational. That's true. And subject That's to our true. own delusions. Right. So they're human. Sometimes I don't know if I'm delusional or if my client is delusional. Well, <laughs> you know, Shakespeare said we're the stuff dreams are made of. Right. So um, we're dreamers. That's the right. human condition. Right. And then we have to deal with reality. And those dreams and reality don't always coincide. And right. that creates frustration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but during COVID, one of the, I think one of the th- interesting things is we started the show not as a podcast show. Mm-hmm. We wanted to host an event company. Oh, okay. In Crystal City, Virginia. We were hosting events. And in Crystal City and Roslyn and downtown D.C., I worked in those three markets in for a real estate company. Mm-hmm. And I thought... What's the best way to create a community? It was mm-hmm. around these events. Right. And so we had a, a team coming together to do events for startup labs and innovation companies and cool people doing interesting things in the fall of 2019. And then COVID hit. And we thought getting people together with strangers in close, confined spaces wasn't really a selling point mm-hmm. <laughs> during right. COVID. <laughs> right, right. So we, what are we going to do? Let's start a podcast. Yeah, yeah. So back to COVID. During COVID, did you did you pick up the guitar during COVID, or was that pre, well, a pre-COVID? A little bit pre-COVID, yeah. Yeah, but I kind of, you know, then I had a lot of time to practice, yeah. You had a lot of time to practice. Yeah, yeah. So pre-COVID, like yeah. five years before? No, 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 like the year before. The year before. Yeah. So this is one of, some people took up cooking, some people... You know, yeah, yeah. Some people you did know, yoga, and yeah, you did some, guitar. You know, some people waste their time, like my wife, watching Kardashians. 
I waste my time writing real estate songs. Okay. Hey. <laughs> Good on you. Right, right. So COVID also had a pretty a significant impact on the real estate market. It did. And, I mean, and, you know, it's kind of funny, you know. I mean, we that was actually one of my better years as far as, like, the law practice for whatever reason. I mean, surprisingly, you know, it was we had to do a lot of, you know, landlords had to – kind of try to um, try to help their tenants and so we had to do a lot of uh, amendments to their leases you know providing abatements and, and things like that so you're you're a lawyer and a real estate agent right yeah. two separate practices that right I have two, two businesses, yes uh-huh. yeah they're kind of re- very related they are yeah yeah but they're two separate businesses and and you were first in the real estate business or first in law? First, uh, first in law, right, right. How did yeah. that happen? Oh, it's a kind of a long story. You know, I started out my uh, career uh, actually in politics. I was a uh, counsel for the Pennsylvania legislature, writing uh, writing laws for the Pennsylvania legislature, drafting laws. You know, somebody actually writes those laws, so I was one of those people. In in Pennsylvania, in Harrisburg. Pennsylvania. Harrisburg. Yeah, yeah. When did you so, move to Harrisburg? Oh, this was like in the 90s. Okay. Yeah. How old were you? Uh, I just graduated from uh, from law school. Yeah. went to, I went to Tulane Law School in New Orleans, and then my folks were up in Pennsylvania, so I went up there. Tulane in New yeah. Orleans. Nice. Yeah. That yeah. was a very yeah. uh, fun place. Yeah, it was a kind of a culture shock going from New Orleans up to Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Was there a good, good music? And, and um, there was. did you go to clubs and stuff? Down yeah, there? there was a lot of good music, a lot of live music. They had the jazz fest, you know, Mardi Gras and all that. Yeah. New Orleans. Yeah. Good food too. Good yeah. food. Yeah, if you like seafood, I mean, that was yeah. So you were in New Orleans with a law law degree, mm-hmm. and before that, where did you do your your undergrad? Uh, I did my undergrad at uh, Notre Dame. At Notre Dame, yeah. South Bend. Yeah, yeah, and before that, you know, I went uh, I went to high school in Western Kentucky. In Notre Dame, you studied law, pre-law. Uh, psychology. Mm-hmm. Psychology. I was thinking of being a psychologist, and you know, I kind of drifted off into law. You were thinking of becoming a psychologist. Yeah, then then I said, oh, I don't think that'll work. Why is that? Um. Well, I didn't want to work with irrational and delusional people and then <laughs> i realized that's up. who i'm working with <laughs> so <laughs> somehow you can't get away from that you know i people complicated things yes people. yes exactly irrational know. and delusional oh, yeah yeah i mean people big people dream dreams right right um so and then you, i got into politics and that was even that was you know talk about a rational delusional there sure yeah so let's go back you were south bend mm-hmm. and then um but you're from kentucky right from western eastern western western kentucky. western kentucky coal mine country coal mine and tobacco right well yeah where's I mean, the big tobacco Tobacco's like really north carolina okay but, yeah coal yeah. country of kentucky yeah coal country were you guys in the coal around that business or what did your folks do uh, no, my dad was actually a radiologist, so, yeah. So he you know, was he was had, dealing with the black, the black lung. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff, yeah. 
Yeah. So it was a good business for him. A lot of people with black with with uh, a lot of X-rays. Yeah, a lot of X-rays. You know, growing up, I think I've had every part of my body X-rayed. You know, if your dad's a radiologist, you know, you get an injury and you get an X-ray. That that was kind of growing up. Coal country of Kentucky. Yeah. Wendell yeah. Berry. Have you heard of Wendell Berry? Uh, I have. Yeah. He's a famous Kentucky writer. Mm-hmm. He writes about coal country and right. How do people survive? Yeah. In these forgotten, forgotten yeah, kinda, parts of America. I mean, it's yeah, like, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, I, you know, I hadn't been back in a long time since I had graduated from high school, and I went back last about two years ago, and it had been like 20, 25 years since I'd been back. And like here in the D.C. area, you know, you leave for a year and you come back and you can't even recognize it. There I went and. Uh, the place never changed. I mean, I was like, oh, my God. I mean, it was, like, still the same. It was, like, amazing. Same guy like in the, time, same time, guy in the yeah. barbershop cutting yeah, hair. Yeah, and it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, same, yeah. Mm-hmm. I lived in, um, I lived briefly in Madrid. Mm-hmm. And I remember leaving Madrid to come back to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years later, like, two years later, I was back in Madrid again. Right. And the same, like, homeless guys were on the same corner of the same block right. having the same conversations and arguments. So you gave, them, you gave them money again, right, the second time, right? <laughs> it was like things don't – things actually – there's a way that things don't change. Right, right. And then you're – but you've changed as a human being. Right. And you expect the surroundings right. to change because you've had some personal growth. Right. Um, hopefully you have personal hopefully so i think one of the interesting things here is to go move 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 around between law and and real estate and how those work together because that's that's a great synergy that you have those two those two parallel industries right um and one of the things that i think we should talk about later in the show is um an example of the creative use of law Mm -hmm. around people's homes Mm-hmm. Even though we're in commercial, mm-hmm. there's there's sale leasebacks mm-hmm. in commercial, right? And there's also, um, and and I have a particular thing I'd like to talk about for sale leaseback. Oh, okay. Sure. Because I have something in my life that's going on right. that maybe you could give me some advice. I won't sure. give you the names and details. I'll give you the abstraction. Oh, okay. Sure. But it's a it's a deal that's underway. Sure. Um. So when you have a when you have an operating company, mm-hmm. you can sell the real estate and keep the operating company. So it's a way to monetize y- your asset without right. lo- without losing your company. Right, right, exactly. And and then the people do that all the time in a home mm-hmm. with reverse right. mortgages and mm-hmm. life estates. Life estates. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A good example we talked about the other day for the show was to talk about Hugh Hefner right, because of right. the Playboy Mansion. Right. He was a creative guy. Yeah, apparently. Uh, what, yeah. How did you first hear about what he did uh, for Life Estate on the Playboy Mansion? And we got to keep our show rated PG-13 because right. little children are listening and, and right. we're real estate professionals. So <laughs> I don't really regard Hugh Hefner as a great example of a icon of morality right. or even a good husband. 
But he was a pretty good businessman. Yeah, yeah, he was. So yeah. tell us the story of, of the Playboy Mansion and how you heard about it and how he did a, a sale leaseback. Well, I think this is in the news, of, I guess he, a couple of years ago, he, or I, I, actually I don't remember how long, a few years ago, he was living in, a, he, he sold the Playboy Mansion, but what he did is he had like a, he had a life estate. So basically he had a deal where he sold his mansion, but he was able to live on the mansion until he died. Once he died, then the, the mansion reverted to the, to the, to the um, buyer. And apparently he sold his mansion for like $100 million. So it's actually... $100 million. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's what it was for that mansion. So, you know. We're but, talking uh, like Mar-a-Lago money here. Yeah. yeah. Like, And it's interesting because there's another... like, What's the value of it being Hugh Hefner's house versus just another house that looked like that. Like, yeah. how do you ju- how do you judge that? Like, what kind of conversation is that with with the with the bank? Like, this right. is worth thirty five percent more because I own it. Right, 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 right. Exactly, because yeah, because the owner, right? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like you know, it's kind of like the White House. I think the. I, saw that I don't know if it's like the White House. Brother. Well, you know, it's like Picasso's saw, house. Saw, if Picasso saw, had a house, for example, I I heard that the White House is valued at, you know, like 110 million or something, like a few years ago. But really, the value actually fluctuates depending on who's 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 in office. I I, I totally disagree. <laughs> it's a federal. It's, it's a federally it's owned. Kind of, it's a joke. It's yeah. A joke. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Picasso. You know. You could buy Picasso's house. There's bragging rights. People right. will pay. Right. You know, hey, like, nice house. Yeah, Picasso lived here. Yeah. It's like, okay. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Yeah. The story of the real estate. Right, right. Who owned it first? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of people use life estate, you know, for for uh, for um, estate planning purposes because you, you can use that method to avoid probate. You know, so that's why a lot of Oh, that's another that. good point. Could you just explain probate to folks who don't know what? Could you let's let's do a five well, minute refresher on probate. I'm not, really, I'm not really an estate attorney, but basically, probate is when you have a when you have a um, will, you you take it to court, and then the court kind of decides, um, goes through the will, and then you have to. Decide the court decides like who's going to get all the property and all that determines that. So that's kind of so everybody's going going through the court system. Everybody's estate goes and anybody who owns real estate and dies, if they haven't figured out what to do with it, it goes into probate. Um. Well, you don't necessarily go go through if you don't necessarily go through a court court. Through probate, if you have a trust, you can avoid. There are ways to avoid probate, and a lot of people that's people want to avoid probate because it's long and it's expensive, and so um, so a lot of people have trusts, and that can kind of bypass going through the courts and probate. Have you been involved with setting up trusts? Um, I I was involved because my parents, you know, had a trust, and my wife, my wife, her. She was setting up a trust for her parents, you know, because uh-huh. it just makes it, it just creates it gets rid of a lot of headaches. So old Hugh Hefner, he was a creative business guy. He said, "I'm cashing out mm-hmm. and uh, deal with my debts or whatever he did with his money." 
And uh, then he didn't have to worry. He had one less thing to worry about right, when right. he kicked the bucket. Right. The deal was done. Yeah. He yeah, knew exactly. where the property was headed. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very interesting. Probate. Yeah. We should have, we need to have you back but, yeah, on. Yeah, I have to, I have to, you know, like I said, I'm not an estate attorney, so it's not my expertise, but. You're not an estate attorney, but you're a real estate expert and a lawyer. Commercial real estate. Commercial. Yeah. So how would it be different for, let's, I'll give you an example, okay? Let's say you have a couple buildings for sale, mm -hmm. and you have a like an auto repair shop, mm -hmm. and you have a um, an auto repair shop, and you have a coffee house, mm -hmm. and like a little little like efficiency apartment on the mm -hmm. on the. Uh, I'm just making this up. A little mm -hmm. efficiency apartment bolted onto the coffee house, mm -hmm. and you're running those, and you want to sell those, but you want to keep the business running. So someone's going to come in. Let's say someone wants to buy into that operation, mm -hmm. the operating company, mm -hmm. but sells the real estate. How would you structure that deal where someone would come in to buy the coffee shop, buy the auto repair building, buy the efficiency apartment, this whole compound, mm -hmm. and basically buy into the existing operating company, but let the owner cash out of the cash? How do those typically get structured? Are those different than just a typical sale? When you're buying an operating company, well, well, I mean, you, there's there's two ways you can sell um, a business. I mean, you you can do an asset sale, mm -hmm. or you can do an equity sale. An asset sale means you sell each piece separately. An equity sale means that you, for example, you own you own the business in LLC, and then you just transfer the LLC to the to the new owner. So, so you could buy the LLC. Yeah, you buy the LLC, and the LLC owns all these properties and so forth. Or maybe not. Right. Because it could be the properties are owned by someone else, and the LLC well, is I mean, paying uh, rent. Right. Well, I mean, you, generally generally how it works is that if, if you have a business and, and, you, and, and you have these, you have the property in LLC, and then you can sell the LLC, transfer the LLC to the, to the new, new owner. I, I mentioned this. I keep all the names and mm -hmm. things anonymous, but I have a conversation with someone right now about this very issue, mm -hmm. which is they want to buy a coffee shop, mm -hmm. and they're talking to the owners of the coffee shop, and there's an auto repair shop next door and an efficiency apartment, mm -hmm. and they want to buy the whole three buildings mm -hmm. right. and build a uh, recording studio mm -hmm. in the auto repair shop. Right. But that's going to take years. Mm -hmm. So all they want to do is to keep the, the guy working in the auto repair shop working there. Right. Keep the the coffee house running. Just keep the same name. Keep all the same right. brand. The same customers. Sure, the sure. same people. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. the guy who runs the coffee house could live in the efficiency apartment. Mm -hmm. So my client is trying to effectuate this deal. Mm -hmm. But that's actually a, a it's an it's like a real time legal question mm -hmm. that I'm not going to have on the air mm -hmm. because it involves. You know, real people, right? And I right. and I have to keep it anonymous sure, right now. Sure, sure. So let's go back to um, a little bit to Kentucky. I just want to hear a little more about growing up in Kentucky. Um, where were you in a small town there? Yeah, I was in Western Kentucky. It's actually um, out. It's close to Nashville. That was the biggest city nearby. It was like about an hour or so outside of Nashville. 
Yeah. So did I you go down to Nashville? I would for... go down to Nashville. Yeah, they used to have a theme park down there, like theme park called Opryland, and I would go down there, and that was a lot of fun. Next was that like the Grand Old Opry? Yeah, it was like next to the Grand Old Opry. Next thing, the next thing I know, you know, I graduated from high school and all that, and they they sold they sold the theme park to to mall developer. And so they put a big mall there. And so now, now, now that mall is right next to Opryland. That, that was kind of a shame because it was like, you know, it was a nice theme park. It was a country music theme park. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they tore it down, put up a mall. <laughs> Which is now having a huge pro- – probably not doing – actually, uh, Nashville's doing pretty well, I think. Yeah, Nashville's, Nashville's doing really a, well. a successful town. Yeah, yeah, Nashville's doing really well. It's growing a lot, yeah. I think part of our show is going to be talking about these second-tier markets mm-hmm. and how some are doing great and some are really struggling. Yeah, well. Like some places are just not. Right, right. But Nashville is growing. Yeah, it's a pretty popular Nashville. area. Nashville. Do you, you go to visit? I was down there two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, what did you do? Went down, you know, I, you know believe it or not, I've never been to um, the Grand Ole Opry. Okay. So, so my wife and I went to the Grand Ole Opry. And this was this was um, this was in 2021, so it was still like you know, kind of like just around COVID and all that. And so we went to the Friday performance, and uh, for the Grand Ole Opry, you didn't have to have masks or anything, you know. And so we went to the Friday night performance. We're sitting there, and then the lady above me in the audience starts coughing, hacking away. And the person next to me starts coughing and hacking away. This is like, you know, still COVID. This is during era. COVID, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my Lord. I said, <laughs> I might as well. They might as well take me to the emergency room. I figured, you know, I, I, I figured I had COVID. I said, yeah. there's no way. I mean, I, I might as well just go Did check it. Did you get in. it? No, luckily not. Luckily the not. Rona, I mean. The coronavirus. Yeah, oh my yeah, God. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I got, I, it. I got it. I got it twice. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. You know, you you would figure, you know, somebody. I, I would be embarrassed to go in an audience and you know start hacking away. We went know. to Charleston, South Carolina, during COVID. Yeah, I did too. Believe it, it or not, it was fantastic. It was great. We walked around, went to restaurants. It was pretty much open. Yeah. Charleston is an example of a of a town that is doing gangbusters mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell. And yeah, I contacted is, yeah. through Long and Foster. Some of the uh, the Charleston office of Long and mm-hmm. Foster, right? And I think doing a show in Charleston about Charleston commercial real estate would be a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well, a place Charleston is is lit up right now. Charleston right. is a hot destination. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played tennis, and one of the one of the, one of the instructors I had down there, his wife was in commercial real estate in Charleston. Yeah, yeah. We were down it's a pretty there. Pretty town. Yeah, my wife and wife, my wife and I went down there, and at the end of 2020, on New Year's Eve, this is like right in the middle of the pandemic, and so, so to play it safe, you know, we decided we're going to eat outdoors because it was the pandemic. We didn't want to eat indoors, so this is New Year's Eve, and we forgot we're going to eat outdoors. And so Wait, what year is this? Two, 2020, New Year's Eve. 2020. At the end of 2020, right? Okay. You know, right before the vaccines and all that. Yeah, and so we had reservations, and we get there, and we had reservations to sit outside, and they put us inside. And so I'm like, oh, no, this isn't going to work. So then we went to another place, 
and that, that place wasn't very good. So we went to a third place, and they finally sat us outside. And this was New Year's Eve. And so it was like, cold out there. Yeah, it was cold, but I said, you know, I mean, it's COVID. you got to yeah. eat outside. And this is New Year's Eve. This is the third place, and we're having dinner, and then it started raining. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of an appropriate end to 2020, you know. Yeah. We got, trying to avoid COVID, we got soaked as we ate dinner outside on New Year's Eve. Yeah, it's it been a, a it's been a, I tell you what's year. happening right now is there's some serious commercial real estate. Like you know how there's a long tail to an event? Right. Like it happens there's the, the initial shock mm-hmm. for like most Americans. It's about, you know, what restaurants have closed and whatnot. But commercial real estate has this long tail of of loans that come due, you know. The loan is coming due in twenty twenty five. Mm-hmm. 2027 right, right the building is vacant mm-hmm. <laughs> the building is 25 percent occupied or whatever there are these these nightmare scenarios like zombie buildings mm-hmm. coming and the banks don't want them and the developer doesn't want them yeah yeah and so that's that's you know we're we're in the as commercial real estate guys we're in the midst of this crisis right, trying right. to figure out what the hell is re- going re- on? Repurposed and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't know about you, but um, you know, during COVID, I mean, I was part of some of these commercial real estate associations. I mean, a lot of commercial brokers just had a different view of COVID. They, a lot of them were like, it didn't exist. I don't know because they were doing good business, or because no, because they just, they just uh, some people just didn't believe it or whatever, and just continued functioning as if nothing. Is happening well you're not running if you're running a commercial real estate practice uh-huh. you are dealing with zoom phone calls banks no but these, wire transfers. A lot of these people a lot of these a lot of groups i was in they were holding meetings during covid you know and the only time that they shut down was when the governor actually forced them to oh shut in down. virginia yeah yeah yeah, yeah dc had a pretty good shutdown yeah i think dc dc locked down pretty hard yeah yeah but virginia it was like Virginia did. Yeah, we uh, in West Virginia, we actually had an annual conference in 2020. In the middle of the pandemic, we had an annual meeting out in West Virginia. I was convinced I was going to get COVID at that time too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was if you were lucky to have a, a backyard or a garden or play yeah. the guitar. Yeah. Uh, it was for me. It was a, t- a time when I changed my career. I left one company to, to join Long & Foster. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I made that decision during COVID. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people made major decisions during Mostly COVID. because I wanted freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, freedom to, to start a podcast. Right. And I don't right. think my, my – even though I was working for a real estate company, mm-hmm. I don't think they wanted me to run a podcast. Right. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Really. That was not – Well, you probably have to be careful about what you said. You I know, have to be careful what yeah. you say. Yeah. Long & Foster, God bless – Mm-hmm. Long and Foster, they've been very supportive. Oh, that's good. Because to hear. this is marketing. Yeah, yeah, that's good to hear. It's marketing. Yeah, I mean, I saw. And it's sales. A, I saw you had a lot of good sponsors for your podcast. I saw you had like Georgetown and. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. We are. Um, University of Maryland. Yeah, I saw you had some good. We sponsors. have an event we're planning for College Park. Oh, okay, cool. Um, because, like you, I have a creative side. You know, we have creative sides. I make sculptures. You make sculptures. Yeah. Oh, really? You I, didn't know I, that? I didn't know that. No. Yeah. Um, like I have what, a... What, like, what kind of sculptures? Like Bronze. Bronze. 
So I have a bronze bust, like a head, a portrait of a guy named Robert H. Smith. How do you how do you how do you make Bob bronze Smith. how do you make bronze sculptures? You, you, you like you use a solder and um the and the short the short or? description is you take a you you work with clay oh, and you okay. make a head out of clay. Mm -hmm. You're going to do a head. Um, and then you cover your clay sculpture with a with a uh, liquid rubber mold. Mm -hmm. And then you put an exoskeleton hard mold over that, like mm -hmm. a plaster mold. Mm -hmm. And then you cut the whole thing in half. Mm -hmm. And you throw away the clay. Mm -hmm. Then you have a uh, you have a reverse of your clay because it's it's a mold. Mm -hmm. It's how you make a chocolate Easter egg bunny. Mm -hmm. Like a chocolate Easter egg bunny is hollow right. inside, right? But it's got the details of the Easter egg bunny. Mm -hmm. So then you take that mold and you put wax on both sides, mm -hmm. and you put the mold back together again. You pour wax into the mold. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you have a chocolate Easter egg bunny, basically. Mm -hmm. It's hollow, right. but it's got the details. Right. And instead of being made out of chocolate, it's made out of wax. Mm -hmm. Right. And then that goes to a foundry, an industrial uh, manufacturing mm -hmm. center, where they have they melt bronze, oh, like really? 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. So that, that wax mold is then given to a foundry. The foundry covers the inside and the outside mm -hmm. of the wax with colloidal silica. Mm -hmm. which is liquid glass. And then they have a special way they pour, they melt out all the wax. It's called the right. lost wax technique. And then you pour in bronze to the empty space. Mm -hmm. And then you break away the ceramic shell and you clean up the thing and that's a bronze sculpture. Wow. They're very expensive to make. It's very wow. time consuming. How, how in the world did you get into something like that? Um, I had a troubled childhood wow. and I couldn't get along with people. Huh. And so I liked making art. Oh, okay. It was like third. I guess in retrospect, it was mm -hmm. probably like the one class that was th fun. Oh, okay. Because I was good at making, I was good at making art, sculptures, and stuff. Oh, okay, cool. But I couldn't make a career of it. Yeah, well, yeah, because you I can't would imagine it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided to get into the real estate business. Yeah, a lot of art. A lot of artists starve. A lot of starving artists. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah, I had a vision of my kids not having tennis shoes, not having shoes, and their clothes were, and the kids were like, "Dad, why don't I have any?" New shoes. And I was like, right. well, son, your father's an artist. And uh, <laughs> I can't buy you shoes. Right, right. And then right. Son, my son was like, that's okay, Dad. I still love you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, don't be that guy. <laughs> right, right. Go, like, make some money, man. <laughs> right, right. Start a family and make some money. Yeah. Oh. So I, I, like, stopped making art. I put all my shit in a barn mm -hmm. up in the mountains of New York State. And I moved to D.C. in 20... Uh, 2025. Mm -hmm. I mean, not 2020. 2005. I moved to DC in 2005. Oh, okay, I moved to DC in 2006. And I started working in commercial real estate. Wow. The parking industry and the commercial, but not in sales. Mm -hmm. I worked for a company mm -hmm. that uh, built office buildings, apartment buildings, hotels, mm -hmm. and then managed them. So mm -hmm. I was really involved with the a as an asset manager, mm -hmm. managing assets. Oh, okay. Yeah, so when I moved down here, I actually moved down here because I took a job as a corporate counsel for the Better Business Bureau system. For the Better Business Bureau? Yeah, their national their national headquarters is in Arlington. Really? Yeah. What was that like? Be well, careful what you say. Well, believe it or not, their, their major source of income, a lot of people don't realize this, is um, they run the arbitration programs for the vehicle manufacturers. So when you have a lemon law... You know, your vehicle has 
defects, your new vehicle has defects and stuff, a lot of times you don't go to court, you often go to arbitration, and those um, and that arbitration is uh, administered by the Better Business Bureau system. Huh. And that's that's where they made a lot of, lot of, lot of their money. So you were general counsel? I was assistant general counsel. Assistant counselor. general counsel. How many how many lawyers did they have on staff? Should have a crew. Not, not that many. They only had like maybe four. Yeah. So you moved from Harrisburg. Mm-hmm. Were you doing law for state legislative law? Well, actually, I was I was representing the Pennsylvania Bar Association. Okay. I was their political and legal counsel. Which was and a lobby, basically. Yeah, lobbyist and in, in, in legal. In yeah, legal you were a lobbyist in Harrisburg. Yeah. And and also did some work in D.C. Yeah. So, so yep. it's kind of interesting because in that in that position, you know, I worked with the various specialized practice areas, and so I, I worked with represented the commercial real estate the real estate practice group, and that's kind of how I got familiar with uh, real estate, and eventually that's you know I got into the real estate because of that interest. And when did you decide to get your license? When did when did what made you what what switch flipped in your brain that said I'm going to go get a real estate license? Was there well, a, was, was it a particular event or something? Well, I mean, I was practicing uh, commercial real estate law, been with this particular real estate law group, real estate counselors for about twelve years now. And so, good that, good firm, by the way. Oh, thank Can you. we give a shout out to your firm? Yeah, yeah. How yeah. do they get a hold of that firm? Do you have a um, website. Yeah, we have a website, uh, Real Estate Counselors, um, DC. So, dot com. Yeah, so it's R E C D C dot com. Okay. Yeah, and um, we specialize. That's all we do is specialize in commercial real estate transactions. Yeah. Yeah. So you get to be you get to be on different different wavelengths here. You can you do business transactional commercial law. Mm-hmm, right. And then you have your license. Right. So it was and during that process. It. So you'd been in the real estate law business for, for how many years? Well, like over 12 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you kept I, seeing... Then I had some aspects of it in my other jobs, but it wasn't, you know, when I was doing the lobbying, I was representing real estate lawyers, and then then when I was with the uh, Better Business Bureaus, you know, I had some real estate issues I worked on also, but... And, and was there a particular moment in time when you said, you know what, I want to get a license because I'm watching these these brokers make money and I know more than they do. Or I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but right. what was it that said, I'm going to go get a license? Well, I think the thing is, you know, I also do business development for my law firm. And so, so it's kind of, you know, it's very similar to doing brokerage because you have to do a lot of development of business development and all that. But, uh, you know, there's... You know, when I got my license, then I found out there's a big difference between practicing law and doing brokerage. And with the practice of law, if you don't get paid, you know, we know where our clients are. We go after our clients. With brokerage, if you don't get paid, you're out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the difference. <laughs> that's why lawyers make more money. Well, not necessarily, because if you, if you have a commercial estate deal and you have a large deal... No, you can make a lot of money because you're not paid by the hour. As a as a That's real right. estate lawyer, you're paid by the hour, so it's always so it's, it's always it's, better to be paid. It's always better not to be not to be hourly. That's where you make the big bucks. So, 
just for for the folks who are listening, our audience who are not in the in the commercial pra- practice, what are the different commission structures between a commercial and a residential deal? Let's say there's a house for sale for a million dollars, and there's a building for sale for a hundred million dollars. Like the numbers are very different, and and the commissions are different too, right? Yeah, I mean, I think with commercial real estate in general, you, there's a lot more negotiation. Commercial real estate is the big difference between commercial and residential is that commercial is very unregulated, residential is very a very regulated field, as you know, because um, I guess there's a feeling that it's it's one sided. You have a consumer, and and then you have the realtors, you know. And, and the consumers, a lot of times, need protection. With commercial real the estate, consumers need protection. Yeah, yeah, because, because a, lot of, a lot of them, a lot of them are, aren't business people. You know, and they're just not familiar with that. They're not business people generally. And with commercial, I mean, you have two parties that are business, generally business people, and they should be able to be knowledgeable enough to be able to understand, you know, how to protect themselves and understand what they're getting into. And so I think that's kind of the feeling is that, therefore, it's not as regulated. You don't need as much protection as you do with residential. Yeah, you have the state truly needs to protect people from yeah. from from God knows what. Yeah, yeah, because, you know. Because Nefarious, yeah. evil-minded, yeah. conniving bastards yeah, that, so that exist like, in, on planet Earth. Yeah, well, like, you know, with commercial real estate, it's it's very, commercial real estate law is very unregulated. You know, it's unlike uh, unlike a lot of other areas of law, like securities, tax law. Is it unregulated because commercial buildings are so varied and, and the, the product has so much variation? Because a commercial includes a cell phone tower, includes a water tower, includes golf courses and banks and and gravel quarries and you know yeah anything I mean, that's not basically commercial real estate is anything that's not residential and that's a hell of a lot of stuff yeah i mean there's basically a couple of major categories there's office there's retail there's industrial hospitality and in those categories, I mean, you've got like a gazillion different specializations. Medical like office. For, yeah, for, for office, you have medical, dental, veterinarian. Then you might have like defense contractors. For retail, you might have gyms. You might have restaurants, you know, things like that. And each of those have like very specific um, requirements. Like, for example, medical, I mean, you've got to have – you, you have issues like with equip, heavy equipment, access, you know, handicapped access, things like that. With uh, defense contractors, you have to have security, you know, skiff space, things like that. So, so when you have a lease... And you, you yourself address. may have to have a security. Um, if you're going to do defense work, you have to have a clearance yourself. Sometimes The employees, yeah. Of the real estate. Sometimes the real estate team... Needs to have a clearance. Yeah. Well, not, not the real estate attorney, but, yeah. But, right. I mean, so you have to kind of address a lot of those. You have to be aware of those issues when you when you review a lease or negotiate a lease for, like, these various entities. Unlike residential, you know, which is kind of pretty much one form of type lease for, you know, there's not that much variety between houses, so. 
John, John, our 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 leader, our fearless leader at Long and Foster Commercial, calls them resi commercials. Right. That there's some people who will dabble because the license gives you the 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 right to do res residential and commercial. Right, right. But he says it in a way resi commercial because it's kind of like being a jack of all trades, master of none. It it seems to be people want to specialize and they end up having a network where they specialize in medical office or they specialize in industrial. Have you found that to be the case in your, in your career where people specialize? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I've been doing a lot of, um, office in in industrial. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And there's, then you have geographic areas of expertise you know yeah well you know literally your license is in you know yeah. maryland or virginia well, or, or it's typical in in our region that it's the the folks hold a license in dc maryland and virginia yeah that's a very it's very common right right i mean i'm part of a team at long and foster you know we have three people on our team frank delo and sarah paul and then you know long and foster has connections all over the country you know through t- through the tcn network the tcn worldwide yeah Headquartered yeah. in Texas. Right, right. Yeah, so it's so we have a pretty broad reach now. But most folks are their particular licenses in held in those three jurisdictions because right. let's face it, Northern Virginia is really part of DC. Right, right, exactly. Arlington County is is really right. The community, the people, the the, the Yeah, folks. I mean I have I have deals, yeah, in D C, Maryland. Yeah, I have a I'm doing work in Maryland right now. Yeah. Any any thoughts about the future of um, of the commercial real estate business uh, that you think you you want to talk about now? Thoughts on, well, on maybe you know, some of these these loans that are coming due? Some of these. Well, you know, big it's kind of it's kind of funny, you know. I mean, people think commercial real estate is doing really bad, and there's a you know it's true. You probably know that there's a lot of office space available, so it's. So if you're representing a landlord and all that, I mean, it's a, it takes a while to, to lease out space like that. Like I just leased out space in Alexandria, and it took a, took about two and a half months to lease out that space. But then you get into industrial, which is like warehouses, flex space, things like that, and it's really hard to find space. It's off the hook. Oh yeah, industrial is is yes. Yeah, there's just very very few spaces available. You know, I had. A, Client, I had two. I have two clients that are looking for event space, one in Maryland, one in Alexandria. One what kind of? In case someone's listening, you don't have to say the client's name, but what are they looking for out in Laurel? Well, they're looking for event space to to like host to to, to lease out to, to groups. Mm-hmm. They would own this property. And they would lease How big it a space? Out. Well, they were looking at like six thousand square feet, uh-huh. which is a pretty sizable space, and. Um, does it matter column free columns or columns or does it matter what the inside is like? Uh, not that much. I mean, I think they're looking for like a large space, you know, like a large room. But the the thing with event spaces, you have to. There's a, by law you're required to have enough parking. Mm-hmm. You also have to have an HVAC system that can service this space for for a large group number of people. You know, you have to have fire enough, code, you, fire, fire, fire code, exits, and, you, and then you have to have a, you have to have enough um, bathroom facilities. You can't yeah. have like one little bathroom for you know like yeah. for a hundred people. So you have a client looking for event space, six thousand square feet around Laurel. Yeah, around Silver Spring, Laurel, yeah, Beltsville. 
So, you know, so I reached out, I must have reached out to like 30, 40 landlords. You know, I was looking at warehouse space, some retail space, flex space, and nothing, nothing, you know. I mean, they, nobody would nobody would lease the, for event space use because, you know, they don't either have the parking or or they don't have the HVAC system that can handle that. Or, you parking know, they, is they key. Don't want, parking is key. Yeah, parking is key, yeah, they, you know. Or they don't want people, they don't want alcohol being served on a premises, you know, or they want something more, or more valuable use, like, you know, if you're in a shopping center, maybe they want somebody that can draw more clients in. So finally what I did is, you know, I called a broker that I know in Maryland, I know really well, I said, do you happen to have any event space? And sure enough, he had some space. So I, so I showed it to my client and we're, he's considering it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, that's been going on for like a month or so, you know. Mm -hmm. In your song that we we had the pleasure of hearing, and has yet to this is the first recording, right, of your song? This is the first recording. I played it at the at the real estate association I'm on, I'm involved with. Uh huh. Marima. Yeah, yeah Marima. Yeah, yeah. It went over pretty well, you know. And I was playing it. The, the thing with this kind of song is, it sounds best at two in the morning. After people have had a few drinks, then people song. think it's the best song they ever heard. You know, after you've had a few drinks, you know, yeah. two in the morning, it's the best song you ever heard. You know, and then people add lyrics to it as I'm singing. People will start shouting lyrics and add lyrics yeah. to it, and you know. So it so. could be, Peter, that you come back on the show, um, in in a in a couple months, and you've developed, you know, because the Margaritaville song goes on and it has another round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have another verse to that. Yeah, yeah. So we, I think then, this might be a repeat visit. Yeah, and then and then my intention is also to take other songs and. Uh, <laughs> you, you could have and, a whole. Uh, yes, repertoire. Turn them into real estate songs. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I spoke to a mentor of mine uh, about this interview. Right. Who's in the real estate business? Right. And I was like, and he's going to record a real estate song. Uh -huh. And this guy was like, I don't want to hear that. Uh -huh. I was like, well, why not? He's like, because I live that. And I was like, okay, well. Well, you got to have a sense of humor, you know. That, you have to have thing. a sense of humor. Otherwise, you'll never get through. Patience and humor is how you get through commercial real estate. Patience and humor. Yeah. Because you're dealing with people. Yeah, you're dealing with people. You're yeah, dealing yeah. with people. Yeah. Um, how do folks get it? Let's say there's someone listening and they think, man, I, this Peter Picorni guy, he's my kind of guy. Really, I got some issues and I need to get a hold of him. How do people get a hold of you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, you can always Google my name, you know, Peter Pokorny, P-O-K-O-R-N-Y. You can put in Peter Pokorny, Long and Foster, or real estate counselors, depending on what you need. And, and what was the website again for your law firm? Uh, website for my law firm is um, REC. DC.com, so it stands for Real Estate Counselors DC.com, so R-E-C-D-C.com. Yeah, R-E. People use that R-E, they throw that around, C-R-E, Commercial Real Estate. Right. That's this is, acronym. Yeah. But this is Real Estate Counselors. But this is just R-E. R-E-C. R-E-C. DC.com. DC.com. Yeah. You and Bruce Rosen. Yeah, and there's, well, we have four people. I only know Bruce. In our, in our firm. Give him my regards. Oh, I'll, Maybe I'll he'll listen to the show. 
Yeah, I'm sure he'll listen to the show. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll still I'll still be able to work there, you know, right? after the program, you know. But we'll find out. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Um, I think we'll close this down when we when we publish this. We'll close this down with the uh, your song again oh, for the viewing that. for the yeah. listening pleasure of our audience. Right. Right. And um, right. If anyone is it interested, is. you can get a hold of me. Uh, podcast at smartcity2030.org podcast at smartcity2030.org and um, yeah we're just we're just rolling this out the future of the Baltimore Washington corridor so Peter Bacorny it's been a real privilege and we'll do this again likewise uh, uh, Charles yeah it was a pleasure okay good stuff brother bye thanks marketing headaches can catch knee breaks Watching them market stuck in turmoil Starting in the morning Networking all evening Sell those lands I'm told as I toil Wasting away again in Marimaville Searching for a buyer who's not in the fall Some people claim that there's a recession to blame But I know It's not my damn fault.